You're listening to the podcast from Withington Christian Church. For more information, visit withingtonchristian.church. Well, it's a pleasure again once more to, uh, to see everybody this morning. Your bright, shining faces. It's, uh, it's great to be in church, isn't it? To come and to, uh, to give praise to God for what he's done for us. Let's just uh, open with a, a word of prayer. I mean, Father, we do thank you once more for the fact we can come here together we thank you lord for we've been able to praise you this morning give you glory see yourself for what you've done for us lord we thank you for that that you've given us hope for the future so lord we just ask as we open your word now we just pray that you may have something maybe for each one of us jesus name amen Amen. this morning i'd like to do two uh two sort of subjects I want to do one subject where it ties up what we have been speaking about sort of so far and this uh, this sort of portion here so we can we can get an understanding of what Jesus is trying to say and the other subject I want to cover and I, I didn't think I did it justice a bit last time is fulfilling how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets so I want to go into a bit more detail on that so I want to cover those two two subjects this morning but why ask yourself a question why are the four gospels different they don't all seem in chronological order a lot of people would say and this is one of the, the things that people say when they're looking at the scriptures when you get people on there uh, trying to tell you that the bible is wrong well why are all those things not in the same order they should all meet up and, and should all Uh, line up together but they don't so why is it that they don't well it's the simple answer really is the fact that each person or each writer has taken a specific subject i know when i was at school we had to do an essay and you'd read a book and there would be a question afterwards and you'd be asked something like well show this person's character in this and you had to take out of the book certain evidence and you picked evidence out of it to show I'll answer the question and this is the same as what the gospel writers have done they each want to show a specific aspect of Jesus and so in his whole life and his whole teaching they have cherry-picked those teachings to prove a specific point but it answers or asks us the question today what was Matthew trying to say what was Matthew's aspect why did he include in for us chapter 5 these teachings in this section here why did Matthew put these teachings at this point in his gospel message are these teachings of Jesus were they over a, a period of time three year and a half years of Jesus's teaching or was this maybe a one-time sermon that Jesus gave if we were to look at other parts of of the scriptures we would see that the, at the feeding of the 5,000 those people came out to see Jesus and they sat on the mountainside and we, we read that it was only in the evening time that Jesus said look all these people are hungry let's go out and get them some food and then 5,000 people how long would it have taken to feed 5,000 people I would imagine a fair time so they must have been there a good portion of the day so I would 
assume that this teaching is maybe over the course of the day where Jesus was teaching them. They may be wrong and it may be that Matthew has picked these for the Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew has included five of these types of sermons in his, his Gospel. The first one and the last one are on a mountain. There's different occasions where Jesus teaches, different sorts of settings. Sometimes it was in the synagogue, sometimes it was on the mountainside, sometimes it was on the lakeside. Sometimes people would come to him and ask him questions. Sometimes it was in the street as he was just going about his daily life. All types of situations that Jesus gave his teaching. Now for us today, we spend 20 to 30 minutes and we all come together and you sit nicely in your pews or your chairs and you don't answer back and you don't shout. And we've also come to a, a service where the speaker hopefully has prepared his message. And so you're getting a message that has been prepared in advance. But Jesus' teaching sometimes probably wasn't like that. It was on the go. It was like people came to him and he did his teaching. And I'm sure Jesus knew far more than I do. And so he probably didn't have to study in the first time to be able to, to give his, his messages out. But much of Jesus' teaching was to his disciples and other was to uh, just normal people. But in this portion of scripture here that we've been looking at, there's, we've looked at the fact of uh, murder and anger. We've looked at adultery. We're going to look at oaths and we're going to look at an eye for an eye and we're going to look at love your neighbour. Five times that Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, what I say unto you. Why did Matthew tell us that Jesus said these five sayings? What is it that Matthew is trying to show us? Well, each example is to show how the scribes and the Pharisees had changed the law. They were to show how, how they changed the law to suit themselves in their own life. And so I want to tie these up to see how they all, all link into that. If we were to go back to verse 20, we would read, wasn't it, that Jesus was fulfilling the law and having righteousness more than the scribes and the, and the Pharisees. If we were to look at adultery, and I just want to uh, have a look at this, this bit of section. It says this, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. It has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the course of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. 
and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. All this section here and these few verses, they're all connected. If we were to go back and we would look at the, the Old Testament, the scriptures that Jesus is referring to, we would have a look in Deuteronomy chapter four, 24, the laws on divorce. And it says, when a man has taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favour in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. But in Matthew chapter 19 and verses 6 to 8, we read Jesus's uh, answer to a question was asked him about uh, divorce. And it says, wherefore they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder or split them up. But they say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. But what was the issue with uh, the scribes and the Pharisees? There was different schools of, of thought and different rabbis who came up with different uh, interpretations of the scriptures. The school of Samba practiced divorce only in the circumstances of adultery. But yet the school of uh, Hillel interpreted them that you could put away your wife for any circumstances that you, you wanted to. It didn't matter, you could, you could decide any manner of dislike that you had against your wife you could give her a, a bill of divorcement and you'd be finished. A man could divorce his wife even if she displeased him. She didn't do the cooking right. She didn't do the, the cleaning right. Off you go. But Jesus confirms it's only in adultery. It's only like this at the beginning that divorce is okay. But what was the issue that Jesus was addressing? Well, what was happening, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were coming along and going, well, I'm married to this, uh, this lady here and, you know, I'm, uh, I can see a nicer model coming along and I fancy the nicer model, really. I'd prefer her as my wife instead. And so the, the lusting came in and thinking, oh, she's a bit better looking. So they would give the old wife the bill of divorce and let her go. And then that would, make, that would enable them to be able to marry the new wife, the better model that they thought. So the Jew had changed the interpretation of the law. They'd changed it to suit themselves. It says, on one of the other ones, it says, shalt not kill. The issue was there that the scribes and Pharisees had different levels of wrongdoing. And rather than just physically killing somebody, it's just said, they, the scribes and Pharisees said, that was the only way that murder could be committed. They could take a, a, an assassin and pay someone to kill you, to kill somebody else. But that wasn't murder. That was okay. And so it was only in these circumstances that God of actually killing somebody would, would bring judgment against them. 
And so the Jew had changed their interpretation of the law to suit themselves in oaths, which we will look at uh, in the weeks to come. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, that which is gone out of your lips, thou shalt keep and perform, even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised in thy mouth. People were using God as a witness, and that's what the, the scriptures are saying that they did in Old Testament. God was the witness that was set up between two people, or uh, something that one person said, well, this is what I'm going to do, and God is my witness that I'm going to carry it out. But the scribes and Pharisees, what they had done, they'd introduced other things that you could swear by. And so you could swear by heaven, or on the earth, or Jerusalem, or you could swear on your head. And because you didn't swear by God, it meant that you could break these other, other oaths, the promises that you'd made, or an agreement that you made to, some, to somebody. Because you'd only sworn on your head, it didn't really matter. So you could break those agreements. But yet Jesus comes along and he says, well, all these things actually, swearing on Jerusalem and swearing on your head and the earth and heaven, they are really all connected to God. And so really it's the same. But it's the same thing, the scribes and Pharisees have changed the interpretation of the law. An eye for an eye. Another thing, just one more thing to, to, to give you on the, the oaths. The commandment where it says, do not take the Lord's name in vain, this is the, 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 the bigger meaning of that. It's not just using the Lord's name as a swear word, it's also not taking the Lord's name in vain, in that don't use the Lord's name as a witness or swear on him as a witness if you're not going to carry it out. It then goes on to an eye for an eye. The decision was given to uh, the magistrates and the judges, if we were to go back to Deuteronomy again, it says then both the men between whom the controversy or the uh, argument is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. But the Jews, the scribes and Pharisees, they'd interpreted the law that they could take their own personal revenge. It was okay if somebody hurt you to take revenge yourself. And so they reinterpreted the law to suit their own selves. Love your enemies. In Leviticus it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. I am the Lord. The neighbour for a Jewish person was another Jewish person. An enemy for a Jewish person was somebody who was not a Jew. And so they made an assumption that a person who was, you didn't love, automatically became your enemy. That's the way that they looked at it. And so if we loved our neighbour, then we must hate our enemy. But Jesus comes along and he says, well, that's not the case. You should love your neighbour and your enemies. And it gave them an excuse to treat non-Jews 
badly. And so they've reinterpreted the law. And this is these five sayings that Jesus is, is coming to. And Matthew is showing that in these circumstances where it says that your righteousness needs to be more than the, of, that, of the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew then gives examples of how the scribes and the Pharisees have reinterpreted the law to suit themselves. And how after this, then the teaching will be of how you can have your righteousness more than the scribes and the Pharisees. Our problem is sometimes, and it happens all the time, is we how we interpret things as well. We like to change things to suit our lives. And so that's a bit of a danger for us today. today and we have to suit watch that in our lives and the way that we look at the scriptures as well. And I want to look at uh, the second bit of what I came to, to the subject. What did Jesus mean by him fulfilling the law and the prophets? Well, let's have a look at the word fulfill first. See, see what that means. In the first use of the word fulfill in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 24. And it says, when the, her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first use in the New Testament is this. Matthew uses this word fulfill 14 times. But in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. So it's something that has come to pass. It's something that is complete, something that is accomplished, that was intended, uh, it did everything that was said to be done, that was going to happen. So, what is the law? Well, we've heard that the law is a schoolmaster to show us uh, how below standard that we are. But that's what it does. But what exactly is it? In sort of like a quick word, it's like the revelation of God's holy standard. It's God's great moral uh, principles. It's God's eternal truths contained in types and symbols. It has ten commandments attached to it, which would show you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But there are also Ten Commandments that show God's character. It's a set of instructions. It's a manual on conducting your day-to-day -day life. How to live out your relationship with another person. How to live out your relationship with God. It was given and it was written down on scrolls. The moon, if you were to look at the moon, you would see that the moon has no light of its own. But it reflects the light from the sun. In the same way, the law doesn't really have any uh, power of its own. But it reflects the glory of God. 
It's the glory of God and God's standards that show through or reflected by the law. The law, when you kept it, offered you life. If you didn't keep it, it offered you death. Those were the choices that, we, that were, were given when uh, God gave Moses and the children of Israel, if you read in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, those were the conditions of keeping the law. Blessing or cursing. There are some things in the law that are a heart thing. Do not covet. No gods before me. And then there are some things that are specific that you can keep. Don't murder. Don't lie. Yet, we would see that the law was actually able to be kept. It wasn't really beyond the reach of somebody keeping it. And Jesus fulfilled it in the fact that he kept every part of it. There was nothing that Jesus didn't keep. There was no guidance or no instruction that Jesus didn't follow. He kept it, the rules to the letter. If a person had kept the law, they would have been perfect before God. Jesus kept the law and he was perfect before God. In John chapter 1 we see that it says Philip found Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus was the one who kept the law, kept all the instructions, kept the regulations and the rules that were given written down of how to, keep, how to live a person's life. A person was able to take the choice of whether they were judged by the law or they were to go to the priest and to have their sins covered. In the same way, we have that choice today. We can stand before God when we have to give an account and we can go and say, well, this is what I've done. This is how good a person I've been. Or we have the choice of taking Jesus' life, of taking the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us and put our righteousness and our lives into his hands because he is the one who was given the life because he kept the law. We are given the choice and that's what grace is. Grace is the fact that we have been given a choice of what, how we want to account for the sin that we've we've committed. But how did Jesus fulfil prophecy as well? And these we will see, as in the scriptures, are also connected. If we were to look at Matthew 21, Matthew 1 and 22 again, it would say this, now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Okay, in my words, the Lord sent a message by a prophet that an event would take place and this report is to report that that event has happened just as the Lord said it would. You have to learn my mind and it's a bit mixed up and a bit confused. Okay, but spoken of the Lord, 
Okay, it was God's word, it was God's authority. If we was to read in the Psalms, it would say, where the word of a king is, there is power. The message was passed to a prophet, a spokesperson, and an event happened that was to occur maybe imminently, maybe it was shortly in the future, maybe it was long time in the future. But there's many prophecies concerning Jesus, specific ones, many about his birth, many about his death and many about his ministry. Last time we looked and we said, well, how does the Bible prove that it's true? Well, Bible also says that if a prophet is false, the things that he says aren't not going to come to pass. But yet we would read that everything in the scriptures, everything that Bible says, every prophecy that has been foretold has come to pass. Yet there are some prophecies that have been foretold that are yet still future. But you have to trust on the fact of those that you've seen, if you've seen so many coming to pass, surely those in the future will also be coming to pass. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, it says these words, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So let me break this down for you. The testimony of Jesus is the life of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the whole of the future. The life of Jesus reveals the whole of the future. And the whole of the future is fulfilled in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ which both are in heaven and which are in earth even in him which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all it's not just the prophecies and the law that will be completed and or fulfilled in christ the whole of the scriptures also speak of christ himself in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 52, it says, Therefore, every scribe who is instructed into the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which brings forth out of his house treasures, things new and things old. The old things are the types of things, types and shadows that you will see in the Old Testament. The new things in the New Testament are what they stand for. The New Testament is enfolded in the Old Testament and the Old Testament is unfolded in the New. The New Testament is the Old contained and the Old Testament is the New explained. You can't understand the book of Hebrews 
Well, the book of Hebrews explains the book of Leviticus. The book of Revelation explains the book of Daniel. The gospel accounts of the crucifixion explains Isaiah 53 and the Passover. The doctrines of the New Testament are shown in the typology and the pictures we see in the Old Testament. The brazen serpent, Moses in the wilderness, and the cross, Isaac, Isaac's sacrifice, and Jesus on the cross. And we can see types in the Old Testament and shadows can be different things. Types can be persons. Adam the first, who was earthly. The second Adam, Jesus, who was heavenly. Melchizedek, the earthly high priest. Jesus, the heavenly high priest. We see it in the life of Joseph. We see it in the life of Joshua. Both showing the picture on the life of Jesus. Types and shadows can be events. The flood, the ark, how God's provision was to save eight people and to take them into the future. The plagues of Egypt, we see how they run out and we will see them in the future in the days of tribulation. We see the Passover, how it talks about Jesus in the future. The cities of refuge for the children of Israel. Types and shadows, maybe ceremonies. We see them in the offerings, like the ceremonial cleansing. We see them in the feasts and the sacrifices. Pentecost and the Day of Atonement. They all show us types and shadows and illustrations and pictures of Jesus himself. We can see types and shadows in structures or in items. The fig leaf. Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves, but yet God came along and he killed an animal. The blood covering, but yet man's covering was only by his own works. We see Noah's Ark, we see the tabernacle, and in the tabernacle you would see so many of the different aspects of the tabernacle talking about Jesus. We would see the temple and the colours in the temple the, the colours of red and blue and purple and white. Now each one of those speaks of something about Jesus himself. And so you would see in the whole scriptures that Jesus fulfils or completes them all. They all speak about himself. All scripture prophecies, the past, the future, heaven and earth. The church is fulfilled or complete in Jesus Christ himself. And in that respect, it's how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. So I hope you that gives you a bit of a, a clearer understanding of how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Let's just close in a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that in them, the only person we really see is Jesus. But we also see the fact that we, it shows us our condition too, and what we need to do. And so Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that what you've done for us 
and that you have provided the means for us to have once more a relationship and a future with yourself. We ask Lord that as we take these words, we may be able to apply them to our lives. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast from Withington Christian Church. For more information, go to withingtonchristian.church.